Good evening. So nice to see everyone. I know that your success is my success, and together we succeed in Christ. It's so wonderful to see all the faces here, and we're already halfway through November. You can believe it. It has been a long year. It seems like January was so long ago. In our laundry room, there's this big old whiteboard calendar thing, and it's filled in with the month of March, and all the things that were going on, and the places to go see and do. Little did we know, right? But let's remember that God is still good. He is still good. He is in control. And it's encouraging to see so many people, like Nate said this morning, enduring and making their faith a priority in their life. Philippians 4. Philippians 4 is where we're going to be this, morning, this evening. Philippians 4. Success is something that we all want, right? It's something that we all long for. We desire to be successful in our life and in our personal lives, in our work, in our families. But I pray more importantly that we try to be successful in our spiritual lives as well. Success in this physical life is it's a relative measurement. And on the spectrum of success, some are stricter than others. For example, if I'm wanting to eat healthier and I go to Texas Roadhouse, well, for some, you know, getting four rolls and some green beans is a success. I did it. I, I ate healthier. But if I'm more strict, then maybe it's, I don't know, you know liquid salads or something. That's, that's nasty. <laughs> but success is often driven by the success of our peers, right? And so being successful in life can be hard to achieve and difficult to become satisfied in. There's a reason why self-help books are one of the top grossing books in sales. People genuinely want to be better at life. What's, what's not always enjoyable, though, is seeing others succeed instead of ourselves. People just fly right past us, and we start to think, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. But the truth is, there's always something for all of us to improve on. And we can feel this way, especially in our, in our spiritual lives, when others just seem to be spiritually stronger and more resilient to the hard hits of life. And it's almost like, you know, like they've upgraded their spiritual armor. It's that bronze and then gold. I'm like, hey, I want some of that. But this evening, I want God's word to encourage you, to, to build you up, to, to strengthen you. That unlike the opinions and work of others, our idea of success should be determined by God's definition of success. And that the success of others is good for us. And we should want that for everyone. God's definition of success, though, is not something that is scary or unattainable. God's promises are true. They're true and they're comforting. And they're for those who are committed to honoring his promises. A successful servant is of God is one who practices their faith. Right? Kind of like a medical doctor, for example. They go and they practice medicine. It's not like an occupation where you go and you do A, B, or C. A practice leaves room for failure, followed by, though, immediate improvement. That's key. Doctors will do this so as not to make reoccurring mistakes and really better understand how medicine works. And our, our faith, it can be the same way sometimes. When we practice it, it allows us to better understand what we need to be doing in order to be successful. What God wants from us, a good servant who practices their faith, is going to be well-rounded. And we mentioned last week that God restores our faith with endurance, and that, that strengthens our faith. But what does that look like in practice? What does that look like? Well, I think the Church of Philippi here did a great job at practicing their faith. So if you're in Philippians 4, let's start by reading verses 1 through 9. It says, Therefore, my brothers, 
whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yudia and I entreat Cynthia to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, this is key. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What does verse 1 say? It says, stand firm in the Lord. If we are going to be successful in Christ, well, then we must stand firm in the Lord, right? But how? That's the question. How? Well, Paul gives the answer in verse 4. I know that we've talked a lot about joy and rejoicing. I know. But there's ever a time where God's church needs to be joyful and that encouragement, it's now. And verse 4 strongly tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. I don't want our fears to take over our lives and to cripple us, whether that be maybe the results of this election or the future of this country or work, school, COVID. These are things that we should confront. These are things that we should address and discuss. But these are things that we should discuss with positivity while standing with the Lord. You see, to fear the world is to fear everything that in this world that won't save our souls. But to fear the Lord is to rejoice in Him who will not only save us, but ensure eternal life. A successful servant is going to rejoice in the Lord and find joy in conquering the task that God lays ahead of them. I know we all want, we all want normal right now, right? We want normal life, normal connections with other people, normal thoughts, normal feelings, and so on. But normal doesn't drive success. And if we look back at history, for example, or more importantly, in our family or, or our church, much of our success has been because we've overcome and we've worked through some difficult problems and dilemmas. Joy comes when we can work through those problems and we can conquer them to further God's kingdom. Take, for example, the Israelites, right? When they're in Egypt, things were looking pretty good when Joseph was second in command. Things were normal, you could say. They, they grew in number. They seemed to be prosperous. But what happened? They soon fell into captivity, right? Things soon became a problem for them. Through Moses, though, God promised, or God's promises he, that, that he would deliver them into a promised land, a land that was meant for them. You'd think that after all that, that on their way to the promised land, they would be, you know, they would be more joyful and more positive in God's promises, but they weren't, were they? If we remember the story, they actually proceeded with a lot of negativity and it ended up working against them. So finally, through the next generation of Israelites, they made it to the promised land. So imagine for a second how much smoother and more successful they would have been if they just conquered that journey and the the obstacles God allowed to be in front of them with, with some joy. 
If his promises are true, which I know that they are, they would, they would have gotten there so much faster if they were just positive and thankful for God's blessings and guidance. Now, God is always glorified, right? They made it. But our journey would be so much more productive if we rejoice, and we rejoice in him always. Paul continues to show how though we can stand in the Lord and be successful in our faith. Look with me at Philippians 4, verse 5. Philippians 4, verse 5, it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Some versions might even say gentleness, right? Now, does that mean we go about and show people our anger and our frustrations and our negative thoughts and our opinions? No. That doesn't win anyone over to Christ. The Greek word here for, for reasonableness in this passage is, is seeming suitable, uh, equipable, fair, mild, and gentle. That's why some use gentle. There is a time to express our frustrations to God and our close friends and our, our family. Uh, Psalms 4 verses 4 through 5 tell us this. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own heart and your own beds and be silent and put your trust in the Lord. We will become impatient. We will become frustrated at times. However, in that moment, when we rejoice in the Lord, things will work out for, for our joy. And if we have joy in life with Jesus and his people, it will propel us through our obstacles. Then we should naturally be reasonable and level-headed in our discussions and our beliefs and our relationships. Bad things happen when we proceed with negativity and we're negative about a bunch of things and we're full of this anger and rage. The joy that we experience in our Savior, though, more than anything, should clear our minds and create this, this reasonableness. Especially during this time now when, when lines are drawn and sides are taken and stones are thrown and insults are, are hurled at each other, reasonableness and gentleness must be a part of our life if we are going to succeed in Christ together. Reasonableness shows others that we're willing to love them, take the time and the effort if there's going to be any uniting force in our walk, it needs to be the reasonableness that we experience in our joy and love for Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, and I want to look at verses 1 through 3, which rightly urges us to make an effort to stay reasonable. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. We'll be back in Philippians 4, but Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It says, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord urge you to live worthily by the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Every effort, it says. Every effort that we put in life should be to keep the bond of the peace, it says there. That doesn't mean just keeping unity whenever we feel like it or it's convenient for us or when you know, we're in person and then be a totally different person on social media. No. Now, specifically in this passage in Ephesians, it's talking about keeping the peace between God's church. But that's a good principle for anyone who is filled with joy and reasonableness. See, growth happens when we have a peaceful mindset instead of a mindset of conflict and self-interest that is full of negativity. We should be that person, right, who keeps unity with love right now. Not, not later, 
But now, whether that be online, at home, at work, at church, wherever we are. And Paul explains this back in Philippians 4. Turn back over to Philippians 4 and look with me at verses 6 through 8 again. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. It says, do not be anxious, which we know puts us on edge and can cause some frustrations, right? Do not be anxious about anything, and then it flips, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. Why should we think about these things? Why? Because these are the things that produce peace. And as we live in this world and our hearts and minds become consumed by the fears and anxieties that this world tries to burden us with, the peace of God is like a warm blanket that we should just never want to leave. God says in verse 7, what, that we will, it will guard our hearts and minds. So while everyone else is consumed with the cares of this life, we have the peace of God in Christ Jesus. But in order to do this, we have to to use our minds to feed our hearts with everything that God shields and protects us with. Everything that is in verse 8, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. If Christ was the embodiment of any virtues, it would be this list right here. And so when these virtues are smashed together, it creates our Savior. And so if our minds are on our Savior, we'll meditate on what gives us the peace of God. As a church, we can be that embodiment of Christ and together be successful in our our practice of faith. And I know that many of us do that. But imagine for a second if every Christian mastered that thinking and living that living out of honor instead of dishonor, that just instead of injustice or pure instead of impurity. And if we look back at verse 1, verse 1 of Philippians 4, what does Paul say about the group of Christians in Philippi? It says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and, and I long for, my joy and crown. My joy and crown. What is a crown? It's a simple question, right? But we think about kings, I'm sure, kings and queens that wear crowns for their status. They're proud of it. They take a lot of pride and confidence in it. It's, it symbols their throne, their reign. But what does a crown represent? What, what in this context, what does it represent? How is it applied? When Paul describes his faithful believers, God's faithful believers, as his crown, he is proud of the, of the success that they've had in their faith. It's hard to see people succeed, even if they're close to us. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not that we don't care about them. We don't, we don't want them not to succeed. But we can kind of become disappointed in, in ourselves. We can start to question our own abilities and faith and wonder, well, maybe there's something wrong with me then. It's good to be aware of ourselves. Keep ourselves in check. That's a good practice to have. But it can become dangerously obsessed, or we can become dangerously obsessed with our status in life and and in our faith. See, the race of life is long, and it's not long. God says it's like a vapor, but it's filled with a lot of adversity and, and a lot of obstacles that we have to try to tackle. Sometimes we're ahead. Sometimes we're not ahead. But the race isn't against anyone else. It's only with ourselves. And this can happen both spiritually and physically. 
where we try to put extreme goals, qualifications, and restrictions for ourselves instead of focusing on the qualifications God wants from us. See, Paul understands what it's like to be ahead or fall behind. Look with me at verse 12. Verse 12 of Philippians 4. It says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. If anyone has been through a lot, it's Paul, right? I mean, many people, including believers here, envied Paul's success. I mean, this is Paul who's traveled thousands of miles, endured imprisonment and abuse and insults. And yet there are people that were envious of what he's accomplished for the sake of Christ. And Paul explains this back in uh, Philippians 1. Turn with me to Philippians 1. We'll be back in Philippians 4. But Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. To live is Christ, yes, and I will rejoice. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. In a similar fashion, we can get caught up and disappointed in our own faith because it just doesn't seem to be as strong as this person or, or, or that person. We might say, well, they've been through so much. They've had so much strength. I don't know if I can do that. But I like the expression, just because someone carries it well doesn't mean it isn't hard. It can still be hard. We don't always know the extent or the challenges that they go through. We don't even know, you know the struggles, the extent of their struggles. So comparing our struggles and how we handle things is not a productive thing to do. But then we might say, well, you know, God seems to answer their prayers and not mine, so there must be something wrong with me because obviously God isn't listening. But this type, this type of thinking is centered around an obsession with ourselves instead of filling our hearts and our minds on who really matters, on Christ. And if we're, if we're not careful, then we can become like the former that Paul's talking about. We can proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition instead of like the latter and proclaim Christ out of love. And if we turn back to Philippians 4, look at verse 11. Paul said he's found the secret of contentment, which would be useful to know, right? Since we're trying to be content with the success of others. Philippians 4 verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. How? How can we be content in the minute success that that I've had or just the little bit of success I had? I've only taken baby steps while others have just taken leaps and bounds over me. How? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is Paul's talking about not only the one who strengthens him, but the one who strengthens us still today, Jesus Christ. Being discontent in our faith and, the success, and our success as a servant of God can cause some anxiety and worry in our abilities. The beauty of finding contentment is that it relieves us with a sense of peace that our needs or our abundance is in the hands of God, the peace of God. Simply, we find contentment and the success of others and ourselves when we focus on Jesus. 
when we are thinking of our Savior who is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy, then together we can rejoice in the Lord, not just in our success, but in the success of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I know this is a hard concept to grasp sometimes, but in the end, we're not to be upset by what others have accomplished in life or in their faith, but their success is our success, and, and ours theirs, vice versa. What others do, the further the kingdom of God helps God's servants as a whole glorify God. It's a benefit to us, and it encourages us when other brothers and sisters overcome, overcome any obstacles, causing everyone to grow together. Joy, as we all know, is contagious, right? I laugh, then you laugh. You know, if we, can, if we allow it, the joy in our Lord can affect the minds and hearts of others. God wants us to be successful and to influence others and become successful citizens of God's kingdom. If we quickly look back at verse 1, it starts off with the word, therefore. Therefore. Do we remember from Caleb's hermeneutics class? What do we do when we see the word, Therefore or anything similar. We go to the previous passage. Look with me at Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We should want everyone, that means every soul, to succeed spiritually. Every soul starts their path of success when they set their citizenship in heaven waiting for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is beyond proud. He is happy for them. He has filled with joy for the church of Philippi. They are his joy and crown in verse 1. Why? Because of the success they had in their faith. They didn't just keep that success for themselves, tuck it away, become obsessed with themselves. They shared it. They shared it with others for the glory of God. And Paul really shines a spotlight on them as we close out this chapter. Read with me Philippians 4, 14 through 20. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As a church together, our success can be, as it says in verse 18, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A success that is found in in Christ Jesus when we are joyful in the Lord, especially when we live in this world full of misery and darkness. Understanding that our joy and our reasonableness helps us understand and stand with God, I should say, and strengthen our success when we're trying to connect with other people. And then with the peace of God, because our minds are set on Christ, we can find contentment in the success of others and want them to succeed in Christ. And if we can practice these things, well, then we'll be guaranteed success in our faith. 
It doesn't matter where we are in our faith. The success of our brothers and sisters, it strengthens us. It strengthens our faith. We can become confident, just like a king with a crown can become confident. We can become confident that God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In verse 19. Now is your time to start your success in our Savior. And if you haven't put on Christ, I encourage you now this evening to not continue the same life, but take a change. Philippians 3.18 tells us not to walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's that cross that saved us that we might have eternity with God. You have a chance this evening to put on Christ being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you would like to be saved for the forgiveness of your sins, you understand. Come forward while we stand and we sing.